0: Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time superhost, and I've over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. Today, we have our first ever guest on the show, This person is a data scientist. They actually just got their master's in data science, and this person did their thesis on Airbnb and pricing with Airbnb, so I thought they would be the perfect guest to have on the show. Uh, Not only that, this person is my sister! Hi, Caroline! (laughs) Hi, Natalie. Thank you for being here today. Um, you guys, my sister Caroline is our first guest ever on the show. And like I said, she is a data science genius. She's definitely the one who got all the brains in the family. I got the beauty. So, um, you know, okay. that's how... Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, Caroline is way prettier than me. So um, yeah, she, she got everything in the family. All I do is like post reels on Instagram. So you definitely know which of us two our parents are more proud of. And that's Caroline, which is why I thought she'd be perfect to have on the show today. Um, And Caroline is Zooming in from Kentucky, where she just moved. So we're doing this over Zoom today. Thank you, Caroline, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So what was the title of your thesis? Yeah, so it was price prediction
1: models for Airbnb in LA. And I didn't look at the current Airbnb pricing algorithm, but I was more focused on trying to figure out what should hosts invest in. If a host uh, has a property in LA County, you know, what features are guests looking for? Which features or factors of the property are most important in predicting the nightly rate?
0: Okay, got it. So your study specifically was on LA County Airbnbs, but is there yes. anything that hosts that are not in, Airba- in LA County that are listening to this today? Are there other things that we'll be able to get out of your study?
1: Oh, definitely. Okay. There are a few things which we'll point out, but um, for the most part, I would say the insights are pretty global.
0: Okay, cool. I also want to uh, insert a quick disclaimer because growing up, everyone has always told me and my sister that our voices sound exactly the same. if If you guys get confused on who's talking, just one one quick refresher. I'm Natalie. This is Natalie's voice you're hearing. Caroline, tell tell us your voice. Um, Natalie,
1: everybody knows that it's actually just you talking, just so you can pretend you have a guest.
0: <laughs> just yeah, nobody would come on my show, so I had to invent a fake guest and it's just me talking to myself. No, Caroline, please tell us your voice.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm Caroline. I graduated from UCLA. Yeah, tell and- us
0: tell us about yourself. Don't let me give you the intro. You you <laughs> introduce yourself, please. Uh I've spent my whole life living with an
1: Airbnb queen, so that was quite influential for me growing up. Okay, not your whole life. I've only
0: been a host for like four years.
1: I graduated from UCLA, summa cum laude. Little genius girl. this isn't the time to brag. When is? (sighs) And um, now I work full-time as a data scientist. And um, yeah, I did my master's thesis on Airbnb pricing.
0: So I know that there's a lot of technical jargon here. So I'm going to have you explain everything that you studied in the technical terms. And if I need you to dumb it down, I will just ask you to. Does that sound good? Perfect. Okay. So explain it at a high level jargon. What did you do? Yes. So
1: I examined over 31,000 Airbnb listings in LA County. And I looked at all of the, what I'm going to call features, of their listing. So that means, you know, their location, the number of reviews they had, whether or not the host is a super host, um, the listing title, all of those kinds of things. So in sorry, analysis. to pause yeah. you.
0: So features refers to more than just the amenities or the features of the home. You're looking at the features of the entire listing.
1: Yes, so in like machine learning, you call features just everything that you include to predict a result
0: okay got it so for Mm -hmm. today's purposes when you refer to features it's everything on the listing so it does include the amenities that are checked off but also like what kind of cancellation policy they had whether or not they have Mm -hmm. instant book if they're a super host or not all of that is included exactly okay
1: and then there were only like two main things I did not cover which were the photos of the listing and the actual text reviews. So okay. someone saying like, this place sucks. <laughs> I did not look at that. That's a lot of data and that's could be a whole other thesis.
0: Same with photos, I guess, that that's kind of something yes. subjective. Photos
1: are really hard to read digitally. Okay. And um, there's multiple photos per listing. So again, that's a different rabbit hole you could go down. Okay, got I just it. looked at... Everything but those two.
0: Okay, so the only things not included, the only things that don't fall into features of a listing are photos and what was written in the reviews.
1: Exactly. But But I still have the number of reviews. I have the average review rating. I have uh, stars for cleanliness and value, all of that. So I took all of those, what I'm going to call features, and used them to try to predict the nightly rate of those Airbnbs. And to do that, I used machine learning algorithms. So this is linear regression, which you guys probably know from, I don't know, high school or <laughs> whenever you learned that, the, that old equation, but then also higher uh, algorithms like random forest, extreme gradient boost, support vector regression, and neural networks. I used all of those to uh, try to predict price. Uh, The best performing algorithm was what's known as this random forest algorithm. And it predicted over 62% of the variance in price. And then, you know, it's kind of a black box model, which means that you can't really understand why it's doing what it's doing. You can't understand, okay, so what features are the most important? So then I went in with another tool called SHAP, and that will calculate How is this model making its decisions and what features are driving those decisions? And then from there is when it really gets interesting for your audience. That's when I get into which features of the listing were the most uh, influential to the price. So then I ran all my machine learning algorithms. I found the best one, this random forest model. And then I dug into it and said, you know, okay, what's making it work? What is it looking for? what features of a listing really are are the most influential to the price so the first one was that the number of people accommodated for as the number of people that a listing accommodates for increases the higher the price
0: the second one was so sorry quickly did you notice an yeah. increase in price as people had more bedrooms and bathrooms because i would think that that would correlate along with how many people you can fit in the property
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question. Actually, the number of
0: bedrooms and bathrooms
1: wasn't in my top 10 most important features. So, you know, maybe that does point to just even having like a pullout sofa.
0: So from your finding, you don't even necessarily need more bedrooms or bathrooms, but just figuring out like maybe a trundle bed or a pullout sofa or having an air mattress would help?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I can't tell you definitively I'm sure as the number of bedrooms increases, the price does as well, but it wasn't influential enough to be in the top.
0: Okay. So so you came up with, you said that you had a list of a top 10. So from all the features on an Airbnb listing, you found a top 10 that affected price the most. Do you want to go through all 10 or just kind of highlight?
1: Um, I'm just going to go through a couple and you can just
0: You know, stop me if you have any questions. Okay, got it. All right, so first one is having more people in your listing.
1: And then the next important uh, influential factor was the property being a house, as opposed to
0: an apartment, a private room, a shared room. Did you find that people were looking for like glamp sites or tree houses or teepees? Did you research that at all? Or did that not? Were you just not looking into that? So...
1: Here's the thing, and we'll come back to this later, but there's some terms that are really frequently searched for, but they're very rare. And the unique stays is one of those. Mm. Um, I looked at those, they, they're super rare, um, and no, they were not in the top 10. Majority, vast majority of the properties were houses, apartments, shared rooms, etc.
0: Okay, I want to interject here quickly with my thoughts on that, because going off of the so Caroline, I don't know if you would know a lot about Airbnb's latest update with their release about categories. Um, So I'm not necessarily asking for your input here. But I have gotten a lot of messages from hosts that are pretty panicked about Airbnb's new update with categories and they are saying that they don't have a unique home and they're worried that they're not going to be found out anymore. Um, I think that this, what Caroline found, should be very reassuring to you that still the core of Airbnb is going to be just standard regular houses People need those and they need those when they're traveling. Yeah, there's there's not going to be a shortage of people suddenly not looking for that. So if any of you have been discouraged by Airbnb's new release because of that, rest assured, clearly people are still in search of houses. I think that the only thing now that Airbnb's update is going to do is just give a chance for these unique stays to have a different and easier way of being found.
1: Right, exactly. So even though those unique stays are actually a very small percent of Airbnb listings, because they're so novel and fun, Airbnb uses that as a marketing strategy in law, in a large part. For example, if you go on the Airbnb webpage, it's this like unique desert dome in the middle of nowhere, which the vast majority of Airbnb listings are homes and apartments but you know that's really what sets Airbnb apart compared to other travel accommodations is that they can allow these unique stays. But really, for hosts that have, you know, houses and apartments that they're renting out, I wouldn't worry about it. Guests will want to stay in your places. Guests, some guests, a lot of guests really like practical places. And if you have a property that's practical, there's definitely a market for it.
0: Yeah, I would, I would completely agree. And I would say that the fact that Airbnb has to highlight domes and treehouses and stuff on their homepage, it's almost because they have to give marketing dollars to those types of properties. Uh, whereas just a standard home with bedrooms and bathrooms and running water and electricity does not need any help from the marketing department. People are going to book that no matter what. Yeah,
1: exactly. And think about yourself and when you travel. Yeah, maybe sometimes you go on some, you know, unique or luxurious vacation, but other times it's to travel to a friend's wedding, to see someone from out of state, you're a traveling nurse, you're a family on a vacation. And, you know, do you really want to stay in an igloo? Probably
0: not. Yeah. Okay, so what was the next feature that you that you analyzed in the top 10?
1: Yeah. So the fourth feature was having a hot tub, Mm. sauna or pool as being really highly correlated with price. Uh, What was interesting here was that I haven't found that in any other research, but I mean, we all know intuitively that there's a draw with pools. And so that did bear out in my findings.
0: How many listings have saunas? I don't think I've ever even seen that.
1: Yeah, I do think that's a small percent, but I just grouped um, all three
0: of those together. Okay, gotcha. So for sure, so having one of those did make it to the top four. That was the fourth highest thing that would determine you getting a higher nightly rate? Exactly.
1: And number five was the availability of the listing for the next 30 days in their calendar. So that's just something I could scrape from uh, the web listing And so this
0: isn't a feature of the home, but this goes back to what we were saying that this is a feature of the listing. This was something you were able to track on listings and factor into your data.
1: Right. Everything online. Yes. So I was able to gather that. And so in other words, as the number of available days of the property increased, the price increased with it. So You know, what I concluded from this was that in the hotel industry, it's really common to decrease the nightly rate far out in advance Mm -hmm. and increase the price as the date nears. Mm -hmm. But among Airbnb hosts, often the opposite strategy is used. The property is overpriced for days far out in advance, and then it slowly drops over time.
0: This is so interesting to me and I have definitely found this to be the case with myself as a host that when we get last minute cancellations, I have to drop the nightly rate in order to try and re-get and capture a new booking. And whenever I tell people that, other people who aren't hosts are always confused and I always get asked, wouldn't you be able to raise the rates because it's a last minute booking? So I am actually really fascinated that you found that because I'm oh, really know coming from the hotel industry that that's what people are used to, but that is not reflected in Airbnb. So why do you think that is? I don't know. I really don't know. Do you have any theories? Uh, not exactly. I didn't look into this one too much, but it's, it's interesting to think about. It is interesting. I mean, the one thing maybe that stands out to me is that I think Airbnb is used more for leisure, whereas hotels are used more for like business. And I'm totally just thinking... Like necessity. Yes. So maybe like last minute rates, people have to go somewhere where they have to stay in a hotel or if they're company is paying for it they're just going to pay whatever rate to stick them in a room whereas since Airbnb is used more for just leisure and like last minute oh you know we're, we're free this weekend let's just do a quick getaway you kind of have to drop mm-hmm. your rates um, that's kind of the only thing I can think of but it is very interesting and I'm fascinated to hear that your study found that because I've noticed that kind of in my own experience to be true. And I guess that the, it really does pan out that way.
1: Yeah. Some of the other features that I found were um, listings that were the entire place uh, versus a shared room. You know, those yeah. listings that were an entire place were uh, priced higher, which sure. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then if the listing had a gym or exercise equipment. Oh, okay. And, yeah. So I found that one kind of interesting too, because it's not something I typically do on vacation, but.
0: <laughs> so what, did you happen to find what kind of exercise equipment? Did you look into, do people want like the luxury Peloton or was just having some free weights and a, a jump rope good enough?
1: So what I was doing here was I was just grouping based on listings. So if they said like the words like exercise, exercise, or, you know, treadmill or gym. I just grouped that all. Okay, Yeah. Okay. So no, I didn't really dive into that. Did you find
0: Um, uh, exercise equipment or a gym to be a selling point in all the listings? Or, you know, I don't know if there's a huge party house with 10 bedrooms, did people care less about exercise equipment than if they booked a studio apartment and it's one person who might want to work out while they're working from home somewhere?
1: Right, so I'm so glad you brought that up because I found all of these features, right? And what is the most influential for price? And the most influential, as we mentioned, was the number of people that the listing accommodated for. And then Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, let's dive into that deeper and tease that apart. So I looked into listings that only were able to accommodate five or more people. And then the most influential feature became Having a hot tub or pool. Oh. So now we get that picture in our mind of parties, for example, you know, groups of people really looking for a fun time. Then I looked at uh, listings that accommodated for less than three people. Okay. And the most influential factor there was being located near USC.
0: Oh. So this is yeah. students, I guess, that are booking.
1: Students, maybe families visiting or
0: touring, so they're not there, there to like party. Pool wasn't
1: I think pool wasn't in the top twenty. Or okay, something
0: like so that. in yeah. that case, if you're booking based on proximity to the university, you're there for a completely different reason than just enjoying a vacation. You're there to see your your kid who's going, or you're an alumni who's going to be speaking, or something like that. Exactly. So I guess the takeaway there, I know that this is specific to LA County, but for anyone listening, the takeaway here would be how much value you can get from really understanding your specific market. Because if you were in LA and you happen to be really close to USC and you're debating putting in a hot tub... Now we see that that doesn't even make sense because that's not even in the top 20 most searched for things.
1: Well, I would say if there's a party house, for example, that's over five people, maybe it is. Sure. But just think about this, what your space can accommodate and who it's attracting. Maybe if it's small space, make it really work friendly for yeah. traveling nurses or students, et cetera. Whereas if it's bigger, cater to that.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. What did you find as far as being pet-friendly? Were pet-friendly listings able to charge more?
1: Okay, so that's really interesting. I'll say this. Being pet-friendly is the most searched for amenity across Airbnb. Wow. However, I actually didn't include it in my analysis because it's so rare. And I'll ask you, what percent of properties, at least in LA County, do you think were advertised as pet friendly?
0: I'm going to say 15%. It's 0.5. Are you serious?
1: 0.5%. Yes. Allowed pets. So in other words, that's 168 properties out of over 35,000.
0: I am actually shocked. In LA County, there was how many? 158 pet friendly listings, 168 in all of LA County. Oh my gosh. And this is the most searched
1: for amenity.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so for your analysis, it was so rare that you basically threw that out because there was just, it was too small. I threw it out in
1: the beginning. I saw how rare it was and, you know, (laughs) not going to bore you guys and go into technical details, but with machine learning, you don't want to use something that's that extremely rare. So I dropped it but that is really worth looking into. And if there's a host out there who's potentially wants to go pet friendly, absolutely do it. It seems absolutely great being a really search for amenity and with very little competition.
0: I am seriously shocked right now that it's that low. I mean, wow. Okay. So there's a big takeaway. If anyone here has been on the fence about whether they should go pet friendly or not, of course, if you're severely allergic to pets or something, don't do it. But if you've been debating whether or not you should, it's time. List your place as pet friendly.
1: It's time. And also, as we're mentioning, this is for LA County, but now that I'm really thinking about it, where else would it be higher
0: Right, if not LA County? I mean, everyone in LA County has an emotional support animal they need to travel with, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Wow. So that, that is one huge takeaway right there. Um that, that honestly shocks me. What else did you happen to find?
1: Yeah. Then I found a few things about the reviews because I know
0: yes. hosts care about that a lot. Let's talk about reviews. research goes into that in depth. Let's so, talk about reviews. I'm fascinated to hear what you found here. Please answer for us once and for all, Do we have to have a perfect five-star rating to have success on the platform? What happens if we have a 4.9 or a 4.8 or even lower than that?
1: Absolutely not. I'll say this. Reviews on Airbnb are highly, highly skewed. In other words, they're very positive. I'll have you guess again. What do you think the average uh, Airbnb star rating is? Again, this is in my own data, LA County.
0: So what? What I think the average Airbnb listing is rated in LA County. Yes, Um, I'm gonna say four point four. Let's go four point four.
1: Okay, it's four point seven five.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: (laughs) So super high. And then, what do you think the average is for hotels? And this is everywhere.
0: Oh no, this is not just LA County. Yes, correct. Gosh, I don't know. There are some shitty hotels out there. Let's just say three stars.
1: Okay, so it's three point eight. Okay, that's a full, almost a full star below. So three point
0: eight versus four three point eight versus
1: four point seven five. Okay. Wow. Um, which is really interesting that they're rated so differently. Um. And you know, I read one article that was talking about that in theory, the average rating should be 2.5 stars, Yeah, right? Yeah, Half of five, yeah. right? On average, they're average. But people really don't rate like that. And uh, looking into why the hotels are rated worse than Airbnbs, one author wrote that it's a lot about expectancy. So in a hotel, you kind of, you know what a three-star hotel is. You're, always, you're never going to rate a Motel 6 as five stars. Okay. However, in Airbnb that's cheap and, you know, that matched your expectations, you mm. might rate it five stars. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But to go back to it, reviews really did not matter much at all.
0: Well, one thing that I have found interesting is that I, I mean, I do so many consultations with different hosts, and I have found hosts who have really, really high end luxury properties in, you know, Malibu or something that is truly a five star property, like one of a kind exceptional, and they do have five star ratings. And then I've done consultations with hosts where, you know, their property is, I don't know. It's cute. It's got some charm to it. The hosts are friendly. The rate is fair. The location is decent. It's fairly quiet. And that's a five-star property too and has rave reviews purely because they set those expectations. So it's kind of crazy how with Airbnb, I can see such drastically different properties. Both have the same rating just because they accurately set those expectations with their guests.
1: Exactly. But if you saw that a hotel resort in Hawaii and your local Motel 6 both had five stars, you would be questioning things for a little sure,
0: bit. For sure. So basically, the Airbnb industry just, I mean, a lot of people compare it to hotels, but it really is different in a lot of ways. It cannot be compared.
1: Yeah. So just to be clear, I did find that the higher the uh, reviews, the higher the price on average, but...
0: It was a very small correlation. Um, when you say the not, higher not the reviews... When you say the higher the reviews... Oh, sorry, the
1: higher the reviews score, the rating. Okay.
0: What about the number of reviews someone has? So this one was
1: another one that a lot of previous research has gone into. I know a lot of hosts say, I'm a new host. I have no reviews. I'm really nervous. Should I lower my price? I found basically zero correlation between the number of reviews and the price. Wow. And yes, I was a little bit shocked. A lot of previous like research into Yelp or other businesses found that the number of reviews should, in theory, increase the price, right? right. Especially in a what's called a peer-to-peer sector where people don't know what to expect. Uber and Airbnb and Etsy, for example, you're getting a product or service from a peer and the experience can be variable each time. You don't know exactly what you're getting with an Airbnb. So that poses kind of a, I'll say, trust issue for the guest. They might be a little wary about what they're going to get. So a lot of this theoretical research said, well, guests probably put a lot of stock into the number of reviews because that's a way that they're going to trust the safety of the listing.
0: Like a, somebody can drive up to any Starbucks drive through and order the same drink made the same way anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, really, but on Airbnb or in Uber or on Etsy, every single creator or host or driver is offering a different service, right? Yeah. Okay. Or,
1: you know, if you saw a pop-up random... Moe's motels on the side of the road and no one has ever stayed there before, you wouldn't really want to stay compared to a brand new Hilton. Well, you know what that is.
0: Okay, yeah, because Hilton has some built-in trust factor with it.
1: So I was a little, you know, surprised by this, but upon looking into it more, I found that, one, with regards to Airbnb specifically, outside of Uber or Etsy or those other companies, but Airbnb specifically, the number of reviews didn't really matter that much in previous research. And the researchers also kind of left confused. But I found this one article that absolutely uh, enlightened me, I would say, because I think it follows exactly um, from what we're saying. Okay, you know what, Natalie, I'll pose it to you why do you think this
0: would be the case? So so you're asking why I think that the number of reviews doesn't seem to affect pricing on Airbnb. Yes. My guess is that probably Airbnb at this point has been around so long, I think of almost 15 years, that maybe Airbnb in itself has established enough trust that people don't feel the need to get, enough reviews from particular hosts or listings they just trust Airbnb as a name brand now
1: okay well thanks for stealing my thunder but was um, I right you're, you're exactly right Woo! I'm a little bit pissed that I couldn't have said that myself I know yes. my stuff <laughs> so uh Christoph Mittendorf
0: oh we love Christoph name. Mandor. No, I'm just kidding. I've never heard of him, but okay.
1: As he explained, guests are providing their credit card information and their ID to Airbnb in the first place, uh-huh. which shows that they trust the platform in some way. And also over time, the property has, or, sorry, the platform has gained so much trust. He mm. wrote, the strong trust in the platform can overcome any concerns a guest may have in a listing In and of
0: itself. Wow. Okay. I want to pause on this for a moment because, you know, just recently Airbnb introduced air cover for guests. They already had air cover for hosts and now they've introduced it to guests. And, you know, also Airbnb used to have it where they would only allow guests 24 hours to report an issue. Now they have up to 72 hours. And I have seen a lot of hosts have really negative feelings about this and just thinking there's too much room being left open right now for guests to file claims and we're giving them too much of a window to get reimbursements and refunds from us. And my thought this whole time has been, you know, don't look at it that way because the more that Airbnb can instill confidence in the guests, the better it is for us. The more people are going to be traveling on Airbnb, the more tourists will be booking there the more confident they'll feel spending more money on the platform or traveling for longer stays. And I feel like what you're saying kind of backs up this thought that I've had this whole time. It doesn't have to be hosts pitted against guests. When guests feel supported, we also win. Yeah, completely. And now, you know, when you get that
1: bad review, which I would say is probably inevitable.
0: Yeah, for sure. When you
1: get that bad review, guests might be more willing to overlook it.
0: Yes, because they know that if something is really, really that bad when they arrive, Airbnb will have their back. So that exactly. one, that one guest that leaves a terrible review, it, guests might be more willing to just kind of think, okay, this guy was crazy, I'm still going to take a chance on this property. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly wow. Said. Okay. That's so reassuring to know. I know a lot of people are going to be really relieved to hear that. Um, I mean, again, these are kind of thoughts that I've had in my head. So it's good to actually hear that now there's numbers and data to back all of this up.
1: Oh yeah. And you know, for future research, I personally didn't dig into this too much, but I would love if a study would go through and see how does that compare to, for example, Verbo. Mm. So Airbnb has in a single month, has over 54 million views, website visits. Wow. Whereas VRBO has 27 million. So, so half. <laughs> pretty much exactly half, yes. Wow. And I wonder if that in, in one of those less, I'll say trustworthy or less popular platforms, if now guests are more critical with the number of reviews or the review score rating, things like that, there might be more nitpicky
0: because you don't have a name brand behind it. Yeah, for sure. I know also there's a really big push right now that I see amongst hosts to start doing more direct bookings, which is where instead of going through one of the OTAs, which is online travel agencies, instead of going through Airbnb, Vrbo, Booking.com, Hotels.com, whatever it is, there's a big push to do direct bookings, which would be like you setting up your own website as a host and accepting bookings through there. And I'm not opposed to direct bookings in any way. If you can get them and you can skip out on having to pay the service fees to these OTAs, I think that's great. But I have seen a lot of hosts are very quick to jump to that, like that's the solution to not getting a lot of views on their listing. I think that these numbers you're telling, you're sharing show that if you can't appeal to on, if you're not able to get eyeballs on your place and get booked on Airbnb where there's 54 million visitors monthly, then your little random direct booking site that no one knows about is not going to be the solution. You have to improve your listing first before you can even think about being able to attract people through your own brand and your own direct booking website. That trust factor too, like you said, that guests don't really care about the number of reviews a listing has because they have trust in Airbnb. I think you could say the same goes for hosts. Me personally, I rent to guests who have zero reviews all the time. And I mean, I I almost never have issues with them. So yeah, that trust factor goes both ways. I also feel like I'm okay letting somebody with absolutely no reviews come into my property because, you know, they're they're going through Airbnb. Airbnb has vetted them. And if some emergency happens, I do have customer service I can call.
1: Right. So just a general point I would like to stress is this, what's called psychologically, information overload. So if you think about it, when a guest goes to book an Airbnb property, property, they're faced with so many different bits of information. They're faced with your location, your price, the title, the photos, the review of value, cleanliness, the overall. They have so many different numbers and things to consider. And that's all for one listing. When they're trying to compare listings, you're just going to multiply that by two, three, four, et cetera. Yeah. Right. And that is so much to take in. And the mind can only hold in short-term memory what they say, like seven bits of information, plus or minus two. So actually, fun fact, that's why a phone number is seven digits long, because you can remember that much.
0: Oh my gosh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yes. But my point here is that with so many different numbers and things to keep in mind and which amenities are offered here versus there, guests have a hard time making those decisions. And so if your property is 4.74 stars, and you're upset about that because someone else might have 4.79, at the end of the day, do you really think the guest is going to pay attention to that alone?
0: I would think that there has to be at least a minimum threshold where if you're below something, the guest isn't even going to Consider booking you, but probably as they're scrolling, and let's say that the minimum is like 4.7 is what you need for a guest to even consider you. Then they might scroll through the first page, open four new tabs, and then just compare those four properties. And I would think that once they've opened your tab as a as one of their potential listings they're considering after that they forget what the exact rating is you just have to meet that minimum to where they even consider booking you
1: exactly that's completely how I think about it you have to meet a threshold of you know there's no review that's too bad or um there's no photo that's too bad or there's you know all of these different things as long as it's okay it's good it's good it's good you know you they might book with you.
0: Do you have any idea what that threshold would be? Like what's that minimum score that below this people just aren't going to click on your listing? So for
1: my data set, I would say it's around 4.6. I basically (laughs) drew a histogram and the top bin, I'll I'll dumb this down. Don't worry. But the top bin was over 2,500 listings had 4.6 to five stars Okay, and then in that four point five, like four point three to four point five range, is about two thousand listings. So that's a really steep drop off. Um, I'd say four point six is a minimum, but as you know, you must have four point eight stars at least to be super host. Correct, and that helps in in uh, search results. So. That's yeah. something to shoot for.
0: Yeah, personally, I would say that, I mean, I guess you were looking directly at how it affects nightly rate. Um, so I, I agree with you that probably 4.6 is just the threshold to for someone to even consider booking you. Um, I would say, though, that 4.8 really should be the goal because that gets you listed on Superhost, which even if that doesn't necessarily improve your nightly rate, it, at least I'm confident it would get you more bookings, so it would increase your occupancy,
1: yeah, and I did want to quickly mention that. Um, so I didn't find Superhost being in my like top ten, okay, but I didn't really think of that as too concerning. My understanding of that is the qualities that make up a superhost are already failed in all of the other qualities I was mentioning, yep, yep. So it's kind of repeated, right? To be a clean place with good reviews, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you're probably a super host.
0: Yeah, I actually, whenever I get that question from people, like what can I do extra to be a super host? Really, there's nothing extra you should be doing. Super host is kind of the bare minimum of what I think hosts should just be doing anyway. For me, regardless of whether or not the super host program existed, I would already be meeting that criteria because it's just don't cancel on guests. That's common courtesy. Um, Maintain a 4.8 star rating or above. I think that's pretty doable if you're paying attention and you have to book at least 10 reservations a year and have a 90 percent response rate, which I think you should have 100 percent response rate reply to everybody. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that I wouldn't even think Superhost would be its own factor because it's. If you're doing everything else to be in these top ten features that get you a higher pricing, you're already going to tick off the Superhost box.
1: Exactly.
0: So, Caroline, um, I know for sure you've listened to my show before, right? You're probably my biggest fan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe once or twice, if I have time. Have you left me? Know. Have you
0: left me a five star review yet? On Spotify and Apple. Oh, you're the best. Okay. <laughs> so since you've listened to my show, I know you know that every week I do an Airbnb quick tip and a question of the week. So this episode, I wanted to actually put those on you and see if you have a quick tip based on your research that you can offer us. And I'm also going to pose a question to you and see what you can answer. So, oh. so first off, Based on your research, what is a quick tip that you can offer to the listeners today?
1: Okay, well, I would think one easy thing to do is, you know, as we know, summer is the busiest season for a lot of listings, Memorial Day is coming up too, then 4th of July. I think you should do a deep spring cleaning.
0: Okay, so Carolyn, did your research find anything about cleanliness and how that weighs into listings and, and getting a higher nightly rate or getting booked?
1: Yeah, so if you noticed, actually cleanliness wasn't in the top 10. Right. Um, but previous research has found, actually a fun fancy name for it, is Herzberg's two-factor theory okay. has found that the lack of cleanliness is almost guaranteed To lead to guest dissatisfaction. Okay. Right? If you have a messy place, (laughs) you're leaving with unsatisfied guests. But the presence of cleanliness, meaning a clean place, doesn't guarantee a good rating. And also, they studied the uh, most frequent words used in reviews, and they found that in negative reviews, they oftentimes reference cleanliness alone. They'll use words like disgust. Stink, smells, oh my dirty, gosh. et cetera. Whereas words in really good reviews, um, most frequent words are things like excellent, nice, fantastic. You'll notice that they aren't just clean. Right. So, in other words, these are like global attributes about the ambiance and the decor and a lot of those other things that lead to a positive review. But at bare minimum, you need that clean place. So, and that goes to showing why it wasn't super influential is because
0: it's just kind of the bare minimum. So from what you found, to just summarize it, having, having a place be clean is not enough to necessarily guarantee a five-star review. But having it be dirty is for sure not going to get you a five-star review.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, okay. So your quick tip basically is before summer season, which is peak season for most markets, schedule a a deep cleaning, do some spring cleaning, and tidy up so that you've at least got that squared away before you head into peak season.
1: Yes, 100%. And I know, I mean, before I was a data scientist, all scholarly, at some point I was actually helping and using some elbow grease in our listings. Yes, you were. (laughs) (laughs) And I painted baseboards white, for example, and, you know, removed scuffs and all of that. And it really does make a difference that lasts a few months. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that you really should be doing, um, get like a good deep clean. I would say once a quarter. Um, but at minimum, get it in right before your peak season starts. And, and that way you can kind of ride out those really busy seasons of just back-to-back same-day checkouts and check-ins.
1: Right. And then if there's, you know, some ants crawling around, flies or whatever else, yeah, maybe they won't really care as much because overall the place looks clean.
0: Yeah. I personally have found that to be true is if if the place was already clean, little issues like that were not a problem at all. If they walked in and had a complaint about cleanliness, from there, it's like every little additional thing they would just nitpick and find more and more issues with. But you have to start with just that baseline of the place being clean, and then any other issues with the with the rental are typically gonna be forgiven. Now I wanna ask you a question of the week. What can we do? Typical, most, one of the most common questions I get is just, what can I do to charge more? I know that you study these 10 different features, but if you can leave people with just a few things today, if somebody's sitting here right now thinking, what can I do to just get a higher nightly rate? What would, what would you tell them?
1: Okay, so I'm going to give the predictable, little bit unsatisfying answer, which is it really, really depends on your place. I would answer this by get into the head of your guests. You know, maybe if you're if you're an experienced host, you can think about what are the most typical guests I have? Is it, you know, couples? Is it, you know, young people? Is it bachelorette parties? Is it students? Is okay. it families? Just go through that and think, what would they want? Is it someone there for work? Then maybe be really work-friendly and have great Wi-Fi speeds. If it's for parties, have a bunch of pool towels and a pool.
0: Okay, Um, so... Be prepared with your guests. So for sure, having more amenities is going to help increase that nightly rate. But what really makes a difference is having the right amenities for your target audience.
1: Exactly. And I found, you know, um, the gym or exercise equipment Mm -hmm. was influential to the price, But, you know, is that influential to big parties? I personally would think no, right? Are you really going to be doing bench presses on your girls'
0: trip? Right.
1: (laughs) Whereas, you know, maybe...
0: It makes more sense for the solo traveler. Yeah. yeah. So quickest way to increase your nightly rate, you would say, is get get some more amenities, get something that's more attractive to the listing, but you know, do it in a way that makes sense for your actual property and your market.
1: Exactly. To evaluate your ROI. Don't invest in a hot tub if, you know, you're a single studio. Right. It's probably not worth it. One other interesting thing was, uh, I found that, you know, advertising that you have nature on your property, your views, uh, was also influential to price. So, this includes things in your listing titles such as waterfront to beachfront, mountain oh. view. Okay. All of those kinds of experiential nature um, descriptive language that really helped. And interestingly, only 2.5% of the listing use that language. So, again, we have that where there's a small minority of listings having this trait, but it probably leads to big yield.
0: okay I I want to interject here too and say um, I've been getting this question a lot in the last week because with Airbnb's newest update, they actually don't show you the listing title anymore. They only do once you click on that property. Um, but just from the first page of search results, all it will tell you is just a description about the property. Uh, how it falls into Airbnb's categories. You don't see the title that the host came up with. So in the last week, a lot of people have been asking me, are titles still important? Yes, they are, because Airbnb will sort your home into the appropriate category based on the keywords it's picking up from your listing. So to Caroline's point, if you do have lake access, beachfront access, and mountain view, those are all categories on Airbnb. So if you put that in your title, you're going to get picked up in that category. So even though the title isn't visible still until you click, still make sure that you're titling your place appropriately so you get picked up by the right category. Finally, Caroline, my favorite segment of every episode is am I the the Airbnb (laughs) host? My favorite segment, hold on, don't get ahead of me. My favorite segment of every episode is, am I the Airbnb hole? And for this one, I actually wanted to see, I want you to answer if you are the Airbnb hole because... Oh my God, I was saying that as a joke. No, literally, I'm calling you out right now because I had a real when was it? A few months ago where it was like a joke. I know what this is. You already know where I'm going with this. I had a reel a few months ago and it was a joke about walking into the place after check-in time to find that the people have not checked out yet. And I'm going to actually reshare this one on my stories today when this comes out so you guys can reference this. So it was about me walking in and finding that my guests are still hungover in bed and haven't checked out. And when I posted that, Caroline reached out to me and said, oh, my God, this was me and my friends at our Airbnb on New Year's. And I was pissed. Caroline, how? How? Knowing what I do, how could you be that person? You need to explain right now what happened.
1: So New Year's in Miami, there's Pitbull, there's a good time. You know the mood is right. Oh my God! You're There's not about to justify this in a, in a small Airbnb. <laughs> most of us um, hungover, maybe still intoxicated. Who knows? And we don't even know the time. We're all dead asleep, and suddenly a cleaner walks in.
0: <laughs> this poor cleaner. <laughs> oh, I. So it was, was this was this on New Year's Day? Yes. Oh my gosh! She should have had the day off anyway. This is so. No,
1: she comes in to like five people passed out on the couch. i oh, so mad and, at you. And um, I think the first one of my friends was like, "Who are you?" We didn't even realize. Oh my and, god! Um, she told us, you know. Like, what's happening? You need to clean. You need to get out. And um, I will say that we did pack up and get out of there as fast as humanly possible. Oh, my God. I am very much a girly girl. I like my makeup and my hair. I did not do anything. We ran out of there <laughs> looking terrible through Miami. How did the host review you? Everything in suitcase i'm pretty sure we got a five star <laughs> oh and my then we told, god well we also told the cleaner that she could get started to okay. which she declined because i think she just wanted us to leave yeah which she basically said verbatim but you know to answer your question are yes. you yes
0: are you the Airbnb <laughs> yes, <hole? I> <laughs> oh my god I cannot believe that my sister of all people (laughs) pulled a stunt like this in an Airbnb at least you own it and it's never gonna happen again right
1: I mean, until next New Year's, right? Oh,
0: my God. Okay, on that note, you guys, we're going to wrap it up right here. Thank you so much, <laughs> Caroline, for being my first ever guest. Thanks for being the best sister. I love you. You're so smart. And thank you for sharing all of your insights with us. Quick
1: note that everything does have citations. There's a full... I don't even know. 60 citations and all of that. So any questions, yes.
0: Are your sources from Wikipedia or are these like legit sources? Oh do you no, have a, these are have peer reviewed? Wow, peer-reviewed, good word. Okay. Do you have a <laughs> do you have
1: a bibliography? It's called Works Cited now, but yeah, oh. thank
0: you. <laughs> okay. Wow. So this is like a real paper. It's a real deal. <laughs> Congrats. I'm so proud of you for getting your masters. Good job. You deserve it. Um, and on that note, thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode of No Vacancy the Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, Caroline, any final words? Yes. So in true Airbnb whole fashion,
1: I guess I'll overstay my welcome.
0: Oh my god, no, you need to check out. It's checkout time. You need to go. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. You, Love ya. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!